0: Could we give God some praise for our fathers today? Yes, let's glorify him for our fathers. It's it's amazing on last week, being Mother's Day, and how packed the house was, that we mentioned that we would be talking about fathers this week and how sparse the crowd is. (laughs) (laughs) We we as fathers, we just get treated a little differently for whatever reason uh, that might be. But uh, I remember working at FedEx, unloading the trucks uh, to put on the, the belts to go to the trucks to deliver uh, stuff to people's homes. And it was Mother's Day. There were so many flowers and candies and gifts for mom, they wouldn't fit on the conveyor belt. They were falling off the side. Trucks were jammed with stuff to be delivered. I'm there on Father's Day, and there was not even a change in the freight at all. You couldn't tell that it was a special day. Um, you know, you tried to go to a restaurant on Mother's Day, you do have to wait for hours to get a table. On Father's Day, you can go in and pick a table to sit at. And so I'm not surprised that even though we have a word for fathers today, uh, that some reason the crowd is somewhat different but we uh, are going to be obedient today and to do what God has appointed us to do on today. So let us pray. Most gracious and all-wise God, we are just so thankful that you thought enough about us this morning that you reached down with your finger of love and you woke us up out of our sleep and slumber and you allowed us to come to this place that we might be able to worship you and to praise you, O God, for all of your good gifts because we understand they come from you and you alone. Father, we invite your Holy Spirit in this place that it might just move and have its way among your people. And Father, it's not lost that this is the preaching hour to be able to share your word with your people, O God, which is the reason why we come to hear and receive instructions from an almighty Father. And so, Father, if you would just allow your servant to be moved out of the way and that you might use your servant through your Holy Ghost power to speak through me the words uh, that you have declared for your people. Father, I would be forever so grateful, O God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be found pleasing and acceptable in thy sight, O my Lord, my strength and redeemer. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to be coming out of the sixth chapter of Deuteronomy. I'm going to be starting with the fifth through the ninth verse. And again, uh, in your spare time, I would ask that you would read the entire chapter. Uh, But we're just going to deal with a few verses today. And it reads, I, I really like this. It starts like this. And you must, and you must love the Lord God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your strength and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commandments that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you're on the road and when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Uh, One of the greatest verses in the Bible, in my opinion, is this fifth verse in this sixth chapter and read it in the Amplified it says, you must love Jehovah, your God, with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your vital strength, vital force. And these words that I command in commanding you today must prove to be on your hearts. The big idea that we're going to talk, teach, and preach from today is how to be a good father. As I uh, thought and pondered about bringing this message, and as I watched the news this week and saw some really disturbing uh, evil behavior from our children, I could not help but think and ponder if, in these children if their fathers were involved in their lives. Because as I looked up these statistics uh, from the Department of Human Health and Human Services, I was deeply disturbed. Uh, I just got a few of them. More than one-fourth of American children, that's 17 million children, don't live with their fathers. In 1996, 42% of female-headed households with children were poor, compared to 8% of families where the children were headed by married parents. Girls without their fathers in their lives are 25 more likely to get pregnant and 53% more likely to commit suicide. Boys without their fathers in their life are 63% more likely to run away from home and 37% more likely to use drugs. Boys and girls without fathers involved are twice as likely to drop out of school twice as likely to go to jail and nearly four times likely to need help with emotional and behavior problems. This will blow your mind. Uh, The average father spends seven and a half uninterrupted minutes per week with his children. Seven and a half minutes in a whole week. And as I pondered and looked at those statistics, I began to ponder and I asked myself some series of questions. What is the greatest force on earth? Is it some military weapon? Is it some authority of some world leader? Or the power of some machine, technology, economics, and some an enormous wealth? And all of these possess a dynamic force. But to me, one of the greatest forces on earth is when a father is in his rightful place in God and in his family. And when a man loves God and his family, it will drive him to make the ultimate sacrifice, and he would be willing to give his own life on the behalf of the people he loves. The Christian father is really to be an instrument in the hands of God. And the whole process of instruction and discipline Uh, must be commanded by God. It must be administered by him. We must see God as as consistent and immediate when our hearts and our minds uh, and our conscience comes in contact with the almighty creator. We as fathers are to submit to the ultimate authority in God to understand that what God has called and determined to be truth, it is so, and it is to reign in our hearts. Are you with me this morning? See, in the text, God gives Moses a charge. He gives this charge, Moses, to fathers to teach the importance for the believer to obey his commandments. The commandments were to be the very foundation of life and telling men exactly how to live. That's why our text started out and said, you must. That's not a request. That's a command. You must love God. With your whole heart, mind, and soul." And so the preaching of Moses was that in the home, the center of the home should be bearing testimony to the truth of God's commandments. The believing father was to place, place the commandments at the core of his heart and diligently teach them to his children. He's to understand that the Bible, God's word, is the infallible message for men. It is sufficient to prove uh, uh, it's to prove men with the knowledge he needs to live in a way that would please an almighty God. It is to, to observe that there are a lot of fathers that we need to be asking ourselves. What are we teaching our children by what they see? As fathers, we're to understand that we're not the ultimate authority on truth. We as fathers are to try to be good fathers, but the reality is we'll never be a perfect one. For there was only one good and perfect father, and that was God himself. The father is to follow the benefits found in the Bible. And when we place the Scriptures and the commandments of God, we will find the benefits that will come to our family. When we consider that the Bible's practical is a practical tool for fathers to, to, use, to be used by fathers, every father needs to regularly ask himself, what am I teaching my children by what I do versus what I say? Does my confession of faith uh, match my lifestyle? See, our children are keenly keen at observing and recognize the disparities between what we say and what we do. Our children will most certainly hear what we say, but more importantly, they will do what they see. And so there's some very practical principles that we look at this morning after we examine the text that will help uh, us be biblical-based fathers. They are this: applying God's practical wisdom make time for your families. Good fathers are good communicators, give loving discipline and praise to their children, and love and respect your wife. When we apply these principles in a loving and balanced way, we really can be good fathers. The Bible says this, that fathers ought to give the highest practice our priorities to, of being what God would have them to be in bringing up their family and their children in the ammunition and the nurture, and ammunition and nurture of the law. It is clear that there are many unhappy homes in America, in our nation, and many of those homes have both mothers and fathers who belong to the Lord's church. A large amount of our unhappiness is because we are looking to materialism to gain our happiness. It is the responsibility of the Christian father to teach their children that humanity doesn't look to for things for happiness, but to God. The father was to have the commandments in his heart and diligently teach them to his children by both word and example. He is to bear a strong testimony of the commandments both inside and outside of his home. His home is to be known as a righteous home, where the communion and the commandments of God are taught and lived. As fathers, we are to fear the Lord and we're to teach it to all of our children and generations to come. I'm in the Bible, I'm in the text, actually in chapter 6, verse 2, it reads, And you and your children and grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. It is a promise that comes with a condition. It says, if you obey his decrees and commandments, you will enjoy a long life. But again, it's attached to, As a father, are you teaching your children and your grandchildren and the preceding generations to fear the Lord? Uh, And if you do, the Bible says, as long as you live, you have a responsibility to do that. And if you do, you will enjoy a long life. I didn't make that up. It's in the Bible. Here it is. Now listen, we need to understand what fear is. Fear is to stand in awe and to reverence and revere God. It is to be stricken with a deep sense of honor. It is to recognize God and his exalted position and stand in awe and acknowledge and give him the honor that he is due because he is the father of creation. There was nothing created without him. Everything that we do, everything that we see has been made possible by the great creator and when we think about all of the good things that he has done for us that he's kept us from hurt harm and danger he put food on our table clothes in our closet and 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 we drive nice automobiles we are to give God the glory and the honor that he deserves for being God and God alone We ought to stand in reverence and fear and honor him. And I'm not, it's not lost on me, pastor, that when we see our sports heroes and our entertainment heroes, how we stand in awe of them. Some of us will stand in lines for hours to get autographs of our favorite athlete. We will will pay exorbitant amounts of money to go to a concert to see our, our stars. And when we see them in person, we just are struck with awe and fear in reverence of them but we can't give that to God who gave you your life. And we have to teach that to our children. The commandments say that your days will be prolonged on the earth, that God will give you the enjoyment of a long life if you follow the commandments and establish those laws in your home. The person who obeys God will experience far less pressure, stress, guilt, and tensions and our emotional and physical problems because they eat away at our lives when we're stressed out all the time. In verse 3 of the text, God instructs Moses. He says this, say this to the people. He says, listen carefully. He said, Israel... Be careful to obey God, then all will go well with you. He says this, and you will have many children in the land that flows with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors promised you. He's saying to you and I that when we move into the land of prosperity, we're able to pay our bills. We're able to have a little money in the bank and maybe some investments and life is going good. Listen, he says, be careful to obey the law and then things will go well with you. Jesus says this this way in 1 John three eighteen. He says, dear children, let us not love God with words or tongues, but with actions and truth. Oh, give me some help in here. He says, love the Lord your God. And the scripture text tells us exactly what that means in verse 5. Here it is. It says, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and with all of your strength. What that says to you and I, brothers and sisters, is that we are to have a personal relationship with God. See, we don't serve some impersonal God way out in the space, in a distance, far removed from us. No, brothers and sisters, he is closer than a brother, and he wants to be involved in our life on a personal level. We're loving with our hearts. What of our hearts, preacher? Our hearts means the innermost part of a person. Our heart is the seat of man's affections. It's where we say and feel I love you. We may think of the heart simply as a seat of our emotions, but the Bible says the heart is much more. It is composed of our emotion, but also our minds, our, our consciousness, and the heart, and to sort out our feelings and thoughts and intents, especially when we commit a wrong before God and makes us feel guilty. And so we know that when, God has, when we're loving God out of our hearts, we love him wholly, total, and Absolutely. Okay, here I am. I'm in the Bible. Let me take you to the Bible. First Peter chapter one, verse eight. You love him even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with him with glorious, inexpressible joy. If our hearts are focused on God and our devotion is up on God, we can learn to love him supremely. But it has to be from our heart, our innermost man. The scripture tells us that we must love our God with our mind. Our mind is the leading part of the soul. It's directing the rest of our being. Our minds can be set on many things. It can be set on our hobbies. It can be set on our jobs. It can be set on shopping. But we can set our minds on many things. But our minds are to be set on God, which sets us apart. When we are in Christ, here it is. I'm going to take you to the Bible. Romans chapter 8 verse 6 says this. The mind that is set on the flesh is death. But the mind that is set on the spirit is life and peace. If your priority is satisfying this flesh, there is no good in the end of that. But when your mind is set on spiritual things, your life will be full of peace. It's in the Bible. We're to love the Lord with our soul. The soul means the breath of life, the consciousness, our essence, which makes us men. A man, a breathing and conscious being. We are a living soul that sets us apart from every other animal and vegetation on the earth. Let me take you to the word. Genesis, the first book, the first chapter, the 27th verse, says this. So God created man in his own image and in the image of his likeness. God, he created him. See, church folk don't know what to get their shout on about. Listen, the creator has made us after his own likeness. He thought enough of a view that here it is in the Bible, the second chapter, the seventh verse. I'm going to do it in the Amplified. Is that the Lord God formed, that is, created the body of man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. If God didn't decide to breathe on you, you wouldn't be here right now. The man became a living being, King James says, a living soul, an individual complete in body and spirit. God thought enough about us to breathe life into us. We are to love him with all of our passion. Fully loving God means to love him with our hands to do his work. It's with our eyes to see the needs of others. With our ears to hear what God is saying to us. With our feet to go where he tells us to go, with our mouth, we're to speak about the goodness of God. We are to utilize our our talent, our treasure, and our time. Our entire being is supposed to be on display about how much we love God. Are you with me? Everything we have is available to honoring God. There's nothing that we keep from him. Our spouse, our children, our home, our pets, our wardrobes, our tools, our cell phones, our movies, uh, uh, our music, and our computer time. is all to glory and honor God. And then that moves us to love him with our strength. Strength means full strength. We are to love God with all of our strength fully and thoroughly to the point of exhaustion there's no work too hard for God. As I see Karen and Bill sitting in the corner, I think about them taking our young people out on missionary journeys and working 12 hours a day in the hot sun trying to make life better for somebody else because of their love for God. We're to love him to the point of exhaustion. That means exceedingly, richly, lavishly, reckless, with reckless abandon, with simple, simple devotion. Listen, in practical terms, what I'm telling you, church, we're to give and love God with a hundred percent. Oh, but what I love about him, pastor, is when I fall down and I make a mistake, that he picks me back up, sets my feet on a solid rock to stand. It's easy to love a God like that, to honor him with all of my strength. We're to love him with all of our resources. That means your, your money. We're to turn our hearts over to the law. It's to be expressed in our soul. Our minds are to be set on him, and guess what? Then our bodies will follow. We are to use, we often use our strength to serve the world. We go in every day, punch a time clock, and we'll give a man 100%. We'll go home, maybe, and spend time with the family, and we'll give them 100%. But when it comes to our commitment to God, and whom we're supposed to love with our whole heart, minds, and souls, we can't give him one hour a week for Bible study. We can't pray without ceasing. Say hello, lights. I understand that it's not easy to love God with our whole heart because you've had a tough night on the job and you've had an argument with your wife the night before. Your children have been disobedient. It's hard to wake up in the morning with a loving heart toward God. But we can start out our day by merely asking God, help me turn my heart toward you. We can say to the Lord, Lord, you know I love you. We can say to the Lord, help me practice telling you and showing you and demonstrating how much I love you every single day. We can begin to pray to the Lord Jesus because we love him. Listen, can you help me love you more today than I did yesterday? We can pray to God, listen, God, you're not the center of my home. You're not the center of my life. But could you help me, Lord, be able to give myself to you totally and absolutely? Listen, fathers, I hope you hear what your spiritual ears this morning. That when we love God that way, with our whole heart, we will be encouraged to spend time with our families, we will be encouraged to honor God with every resource we have. And I said that we have very five very practical reasons. We can begin to apply God's practical wisdom. I'm in the Bible, Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train the child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will, will not turn from it. It indicates that the first instructions that our children are to see, receive are from the father and they are important. Training is designed to make it clear to our children and preceding generations how they're intended to live according to the commandments of God. Fathers, you're to make more than seven and a half minutes with your children a week. We must inculcate. That means to teach something somebody or something to learn about someone by repeating it over and over again. A father is to speak to his sons and his daughter and repeat the commandments over and over again. I, I, I used to say it so much to my son. He looked at me one day, about 10, 11 years old. He said, Daddy, why do you keep telling me the same stuff over and over again? I got it. I said, you ain't grown yet. You still got some more to hear. That's why the Bible says in verse 7, to repeat it to your children over and over again. When you're at home, when you're driving in the car, when you're tucking your kids in the bed for the night, when they wake up in the morning, when you're sitting in your home with your children, when you're out in the park or on a walk on the roadside, we're to remind them about the commandments of God. The believer is to diligently be involved in the religious education of his children, and it's more than just teaching facts and principles and just passing along information. It means that I must live it out in my life before my children. Children can know the truth of the commandments, but it's more effective when they see it lived out right before their eyes. They will absorb the truth and they will begin to pick up on the things of God and allow them to become a part of their life. If you don't spend significant time with your children, they might conclude that somehow you care more more about other things than you do them, more about your job, your friends, your hobbies. Men of God, hear me. Good fathers are good communicators. The Bible says this in James uh, chapter 1, verse 19. So then, my beloved brethren, Let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak, slow to wrath. Fathers who apply this biblical principles are able to communicate better with their children. We're to listen calmly without being judgmental. In order to be effective communicators, we ought to be careful listeners and we're to cultivate the ability to listen to our children without overacting overreacting. If our children think that we We'll lose our temper quickly and be judgmental. They won't have any incentive to speak to you about anything. You're to listen calmly, you're to show them genuine interest, and they'll become more likely to share their feelings and thoughts with you. Four, give loving discipline. Not enough parents are disciplining their children today, but it's to be loving discipline. Listen what the Scripture says in chapter 3 of Colossians, verse 21. Fathers, do not provoke—amplify—do not provoke or irritate or exacerbate your, chi- your, your children with demands that are trivial, unreasonable, or humiliation, humiliating, or abuse. Nor favoritism or indifference. Treat them tenderly with loving kindness, so they will not lose heart and become discouraged, unmotivated, with, with excuse me, with their spirits broken. Even when we are frustrated, we're to administer and express love and concern for our children. It is best for their long-term welfare. We must be able to be effective fathers. We must be able to listen to our children and we will watch our children blossom and bloom in appreciation when they understand that their father is willing to compliment them as well as chastise them. And then certainly fathers, husbands, listen, love and respect your wife. Husbands, love your wife. Seek the highest good for her and surrender, surround her with with a caring and unselfish love just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Fathers, exercise this role. Love your wives. It honors God when we do. See, Christian fathers, we ought to be careful to have the right attitude. And we want to have that attitude and instill it into our children as they watch us live our lives out before God. We're to take the commandments of God and place them in the center of our homes where our children see it in us. I love ketchup. And when my children were younger, I would put ketchup on everything. Everything. One, one night, I'm sitting at the dinner table, and I'm looking at my son, and he's putting ketchup on everything. Why? Not necessarily that he has love for ketchup, but he sees his dad. So, he's emulating the behavior of his father. You know whose, whose behavior we ought to be emulating? Our father. When people see us, they ought to see God on display, and we need to be cognizant of that. But this will mean nothing to you if you're not in a relationship with him. You can accept him today as your personal savior and begin to live God out in you. You might be like me. See nobody taught this to me. When I was a young dad and I made some mistakes and I messed up and maybe I didn't have the relationship with my children that I should have had when they were young but when God began to change my heart and showing what he, he expected of me I was able to pray to God and said, God, I thank you that you've shown me where I've been wrong and now I can get right. Help me reestablish the kind of relationship I ought to have with my children. Now that I understand, I'm not only gonna now uh, miss the opportunity to to teach my children, but now I'm not gonna miss the opportunity to teach, teach my grandchildren. I'm gonna live you out before them. And so maybe you've been like me. And you've been too prideful and arrogant to go before God and say, I didn't mess up. But you can come before Him. You can come down to this altar and have a little talk with Jesus. You say, Lord, fix it for me. I haven't talked to my son or my daughter for a while that is my fault because I didn't understand what you commanded me to do it was before I had an understanding that I was supposed to place your commandments at the center of my family and begin to live that out in front of them that's one thing I love about God he's a God of a first a second a third a fourth and a fifth and a sixth and a seventh chains Never gives up on us. All we've got to do is come. You can receive him this morning as Savior, or you can tell him to just fix my heart. The doors of the church are open. As the band plays, let God speak and minister to your heart this morning. Open it up and let Jesus in you know what he's doing brother he's standing at the door and he ain't just knocking he's beating right now would you open your heart to me this morning would you allow me to come in and be the center of your life will you allow me to fix what's wrong and all it takes you to do is say yes me just as you are bless